Hi everyone, I'm Emily. And I'm Vincent. And this is The Lighthouse Lowdown. <laughs> Clear his throat. <laughs> I don't have anything to say. Do, 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 do. Welcome no, to the episode. it's not Africa. What's give me another do 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 then? Huh? Shoot me, shoot me what a What it doo-doo. actually is? Yeah, give me like a. Uh, I'm trying to remember what it is. No, it starts with the the little like, and then it's um, yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll hear it when we listen to this back. Yeah, when I add it in later. Some people that do their podcast, they have a button that they push that it plays. Hmm. And then they know when it's over and can keep talking. Like a DJ. Yeah. That's fancy. It's these interfaces and they have like controls on them and stuff. Yeah. I've seen some for, you know, 1800 plus. Yeah. We don't have that kind of budget here. (laughs) (laughs) We're on the low down. Yeah. Low down budget. So do we have a history buoy of today? Oh yeah, of course we do. Uh, I want to say that this episode is Adlis. You're welcome. And that's it. (laughs) There we go. No interruptions. (laughs) So the history buoy for today is about keeper uniforms uh, because they're pretty cool. They're, they had to, well, I'll I'll get into it. So from 1789 to 1883, so almost a hundred years, Lighthouse keepers wore whatever they wanted when they were on duty. They didn't have a uniform. And then in 1883, the Lighthouse board sent out a notice that uniforms would now be required. And this notice was like lengthy <laughs> was a, a letter sent to all of them uh i don't know if it was a letter or more like a like an a, email exactly a it, it was a voicemail <laughs> the first set of the uniform would be free and around then they had like 1600 employees under the lighthouse board and they would have to have their own made after that if they needed a new uniform or anyone that was hired after this moment would not get oh boy their own uniform. that's tough yeah uh, it, it included a coat, vest, trousers, and cap. The coat, so it, they had requirements so that in, in a lot of cases, the lighthouse keeper's wife would sew the uniform. And so in this notice, they had very specific like how to, how to rules the, okay, for exactly the what they wanted to see. So they, the coat needed to be double-breasted with five large buttons. And this is all words from the notice. So it's like, wow, they were taking it very seriously. Five large buttons on each side, top close to collar, bottom one six inches from the hem. And they wanted the length of the coat to be exactly at your fingertips with two inside breast pockets, two outside hip pockets. These with flaps that are, quote, so arranged to be worn inside the pockets if desired. Unquote. Whoa. <laughs> and then each sleeve has two small buttons on cuff seam, half inch apart, lower, bo- lower button one inch from bottom of cuff. Wow, that yeah. that is very specific. Wait, so sorry to wow, wow. Um, wow. The what's the purpose of having the the cover? Was it flap or was it working? Yeah, inside the pocket. I'm not sure. I've, Maybe no, they I don't just think I've ever seen that. Just wanted to tuck it in. I think they're just saying you can tuck it in if you want to. You wouldn't want to have those flaps. Yeah, you know, or if the around. wind is blowing, you look like a fool. Yeah, you want them pocketed. <laughs> okay, thank you. The vest had to be navy blue cloth in winter and navy blue serge or flannel in the summer. So you'd have two different. Yeah. You'd, you'd, what is serge? Do you know? Uh, I don't know. We look it up. Like a material, right? I take it. Sounds ahead of its time. Uh, it's a type of twill fabric that has diagonal lines or ridges on both sides. Twill. Okay. This variety is used in making military uniforms, suits, coats, and trench coats. So we've probably seen it before. This picture doesn't help. Oh, okay. Yeah. I know what that is. There you go. <laughs> you know that, that coat I wore to work the other day, the gray one that's uh, long. And uh, yes. that's what that is. <laughs> that's Serge. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The vest also had to be single breasted and have five small regulation buttons and a small rolling collar. So as to show six inches of your shirt. So it's like you know, low cut mm-hmm. vest. And then also needed a watch pocket in the left side and a lower pocket on each side. Dang. The trousers had to be navy blue cloth in winter, serge or flannel in summer and cut in prevailing styles, which basically means you can have pants. whatever pants you like want. <laughs> uh, 
skinny jeans. Make them like pants. <laughs> and also have pockets in hip seams. Moving on, we have the cap, which had a navy pattern with adjustable chin strap of gold lace that is half an inch wide. <laughs> Fastened to the sides by small size regulation buttons. And in the middle front of the cap, a gold embroidered wreath, one and one fourth inches tall, two inches wide, enclosing a silver embroidered lighthouse that is three, three fourths of an inch tall. And they didn't have a picture for what they were talking about. Oh. So there's lots of variations of lighthouse keeper caps in the world. Are they, were they often modeled after their own local lighthouse that they were working at? Like the, you know. No, I think they're, it was pretty, like if you ask someone to draw a doodle a lighthouse, yeah. yeah, it'd be pretty, everyone just does stripes and the top is like a triangle or something. <laughs> That's cool. And then there needed to be a black mohair braid one and a half inches wide worn around the cap. It's like, what's it called? Just like a decorative little yeah. thing to hide the seams. Yeah, of like, the, a, like, a, the like a navy ball cap. We'll often yeah. have that going across the bill exactly. just for added mm-hmm. grandpa-ness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the keepers of lighthouses had a special coat requirement in which their rank was embroidered on each lapel. And it was inside this little border of twirled gold rope with the inside character being either K, which meant you're the principal keeper, or one through four, which designates which, which assistant keeper you are. I can't see you. You want to be the big K. Yeah, you want to be the big K. Big, big cheese. cheese. <laughs> Hang on, let me adjust this. Hold, please. Yeah, and they also didn't explain what they meant by twirled gold rope, so that also kind of went haywire for some people. I mean, what are you supposed to do? You're, it's like... <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. We're adjusting the microphones. Yeah, this is the one that I want. Eesh. That's the stuff. Get it better? I still can't see you very well, but that's all right. Uh, is it because of mine or yours? No, it's mine. <laughs> <laughs> you know what you could do? What? is invert that microphone so that mm. this part's on the top. You just want me be... to look like yours. Well, mine's on the side. Spirit. What? <laughs> this was easier for me to set up. That's, so. like, that's like you're singing a song. Like you're a, you're a vocal recording right now for... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mock. Say yeah. Yeah. Ing. Yeah. Bird. Yeah. Okay. Anyone who gets that reference, I appreciate it. Did I do it right? Yeah. Okay. It continues on, but it's it's, uh, one of the worst sounds that anyone's ever heard. Oh. (laughs) From the movie Dumb and Dumber. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, many different gold ropes. Yeah. It's just, uh, they kind of got it down in the pictures that I saw. I don't know how they possibly could have gotten the description. Do Do you have some, like differences in photos you could show yeah, up on Instagram. I will, yeah. Okay. I'll put it on the Instagram to Dope. show. It's mostly the hats that are just like, what is happening? <laughs> uh, the, la- the other thing that keepers had to have on their coats were a small vertical slash on each sleeve cuff that kind of, I think it looks it looks like a pin. It's not embroidered. It's like a pin you mm-hmm. get in the mail. For every five years of service, you get one of these vertical slashes and then a star for 25 years. So you'll get, you'll like have four vertical slashes and you reach 25 years you take them all off and have a star that's that's a long time to Mm. get a star i know wow but if you think about it sally's only five years away sally snowman 25 years Mm -hmm. she didn't even have a star yet no the only person i mentioned a couple times about regulation buttons Mm -hmm. they had three sizes large which was one inch medium three quarters inch and small which was half an inch and it's a little brass button with USLHE for United States Lighthouse Establishment, which is Ooh, what it used to be. That's cool. And was later replaced with a button with a slightly raised edge that had a lighthouse in the middle with waves and uh, these like horizontal stripes all along the back. Fancy. Mm-hmm. There's also a button before this. It said USLHE, but the U and the S were connected and it looked like... The S looked like a dollar sign. It's very weird. I don't think it was used for very long because there's very few of them and they're all beat up looking, which means that they're, you can't find any like really clean But they're like special collectors because they're so weird. Oh yeah. You know, I've looked. United States with a dollar sign. It's devilish. We should, we should change the USA. The S should always be a dollar sign. I think that works. Big money. (laughs) So all men 
employed on ships or stations had to wear the uniform when they were working mm-hmm. on the stations and also when visiting the lighthouse board office. So anytime any lighthouse board personnel saw the keeper, they had to be wearing this uniform. Otherwise they get um, like some demerit or something. Yeah. <laughs> like, not a huge deal, I don't think, star. but yeah. Um, they had to wear apron- aprons when cleaning lamps or lenses and engineers would wear an overall suit when working with machinery. They're like, you don't have to wear your suit. While you're doing that, it's like, oh, thank you. You're covered in grease. <laughs> yeah. The uniform cost up to $26.25. There was like a couple places that made them, like that the Lighthouse Board would be like, these are the places you can get them from. Here's the cost. I think I put the most expensive one uh, in San Francisco, and this didn't include shoes, shirt, and tie. And that cost today is $576. I believe that. Yeah. I believe that. It's a lot. Uniforms are expensive. And at this time, a third assistant keeper's pay was $500 a year, meaning oh. Oh boy. the entirety of the outfit would be nearly a whole month's wage. Yeah. Keeper's pay was $500 a year. Damn. And it was $26. So. It's a nice suit. I know. And then you'd have to have it right away. So you're not even... You, only have you don't one. even have the job really yet. You just have to spend all this money before you even get started. I think that's crazy. And you only have one, right? Yeah. I mean... Life on the lighthouse. Yeah, it's hard. Got to look nice all the time. <laughs> it's funny because I, I don't think about, I mean, sometimes I think about lighthouse keepers looking really nice, like when they show up to the mm-hmm. lighthouse board office or something. But when you think about them working on the lighthouse, you don't think about them wearing a suit. Yeah. So I got a, a question. A lot of the, not a lot, but I've seen some photos and paintings and uh, probably film media over the years of lighthouse keepers, I assume they were, in like, yellow raincoats with these big old hats you know what i'm talking about no. like can you, can you imagine what i'm so these almost like you think they're fishermen maybe they're fishermen and they're just associated with these you know they're looking at a lighthouse or something but when i think lighthouse keeper in my head before this discussion i was thinking of a big bright yellow like rubberized which obviously we hadn't had rubber for that long in history um, I think it was like 1940s or 50s, but um, I don't know, like 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 a like a torrential rain outfit. But so these people in all these situations, from what what year was this issued? This uh, let's notice? see, 1882, I want to say. So 18, 1883. Well, that's, that's pretty late in their history, but 1883 and on, all these crazy stories we're talking about. These people are wearing suits the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta have your buttons it, it six seems, inches from the hem. Yeah. In 1907, more uniform regulations were posted that were pretty much the same, um, except they added warm weather regulations. So in warmer weather, you can have a white single-breasted coat with a high stiff collar and five flat white buttons, blue trousers, and a hat with a white cover. That sounds like my favorite. Sounds like a... Of the outfits. Yeah, it sounds like a... Uh, like a guy who rows boats. What is it called? Pan. A crew member? No, like rows boats like down uh, like Italy in rivers. What is it called? Oh, man. They don't know. Well, they like push off the bottom. Pan, pan, yeah. Uh, what is that called? Yeah, wait, I don't. I just... <laughs> <laughs> in 1913, the buttons were changed, as I mentioned earlier, from the US, US LHE to the Little Lighthouse. And in 1920, stars and bars were added for service, which is what I mentioned earlier too. So it's yep. just, things kind of came out in, in steps, but that was the overall. They also added efficiency stars, which is awarded once a year to the most efficient station worn on your left lapel. Do you have the criteria for that? No, that's something that would send in the mail. Oh. It's just a little star. But since it's not on the sleeve, you know it doesn't mean 25 years of service. Oh, it's yeah. up on the lapel. But the, like how they measured efficiency, is it like food oh. and water and fuel and... Probably, yeah. Like they, equipment. You like, know, they come by every year and do checks of all of the stations. And so I'm sure the district inspector was... The cat just, gets in the barrel, the fuel oil. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Belts were never worn for a majority of the 19th century, which I thought was interesting. Like, because we wear, wear belts. I mean, you wear a belt every single day. That's right. Got to have the pants up. The pants keep the belt up and the belt keeps the pants up. But belt loops began showing up on uniforms during the Spanish-American War... And were official in 1902. So 
your trousers had to have belt loops. Because <laughs> they just were like, we have belts now. Everyone's going to wear a belt. <laughs> and zippers didn't even show up until after World War II. We Lots didn't see buttons. those until. Yeah. I think zippers were actually like a really big innovation at one time. Hmm. I think, uh, I don't know if they had to do with sound, but like Velcro. Well, actually, I think Velcro was invented for space, outer space use. So like 60s or 70s for like, Whoa. for uh, we'll look into that. But anyways. Buttons have been around for a while. I mentioned, even after all of these regulations, uniforms still ended up looking really different. And I'll post some of the variations in the Instagram, at Lighthouse Lowdown on Instagram. (laughs) That's the end of my history buoy. So the lighthouse we're doing today is Little Ross. Hmm. uh, And this is in Scotland. So we're we're doing our first episode outside of the U.S. We're leaving the U.S. LHS for the Northern Lighthouse Board in Scotland. Across the Atlantic. Right. I'll start with current location and appearance. Uh, We're on Little Ross Island in Kirkubri, Scotland, which I just learned yesterday is how you pronounce it. But it's spelled like Kirkcud Bright. Bright. And it's Brie. Kirkubri? Kirkubri. Is it a French origin? I don't know. Well, the only reason I'm saying, I have no idea, but I'm, oh. I'm just, the French don't pronounce a lot of the end of their words. Trash in the French, all right. Mm, yeah, well, they're lazy talkers. <laughs> it's white with an ochre trim and a black lantern room. Really, very pretty lighthouse. It looks exactly the same now as it did when it was built. It's an amazing. ochre trim? Sorry. Yeah, ochre. It's a, um, it's a very yellow tan, but dark yellow tan. Cool. Well. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone who paints, uh, ochre is always a color that comes in packs. <laughs> All right. So uh, it's powered by solar panels and a small wind turbine, and it still uses a beacon today, even though it's automated. So we don't have keepers over there, which is interesting because I assumed, you know, in the U.S., we don't have any. We have one keeper, mm-hmm. and that's at Boston Light. Snowman. But I don't know if that's true for the rest of the world. We have so many more lighthouses out there, not in the U.S. And I don't know if people are still keepers these days. I'll have to find out. But in this case, it's automated. We're going to go deep into the history, but I'm going to start with the island because it's on an island that is like self-sustainable. You can live out there without getting shipments in. At least when you were a keeper. Now you'd have to be doing something. So, Little Ross Island is at the mouth of the River Dee in Kirk... Damn it. What is it? Kirkubri. I already forgot. <laughs> Kirkubri. I'm looking at... When I type, I'm like, Kirk Cudbright. And now, like, looking at it, I have to think Kirkubri. That doesn't make... Anyway. River Dee in Kirkubri Bay in Scotland. Uh, a quarter of a nautical mile from the headland, which is... I should have looked up how to pronounce this. Meikle Ross. It's Michael. <laughs> It's termed Big Ross, you know, Big Ross, Little Ross. Oh, okay. This island is off of Big Ross along with two small rocks called Sugarloaf and Fox Craig. Sugarloaf. I thought that was funny. It <laughs> is funny. <laughs> this thing sounds, sounds like a band name. Just, what am I thinking? Meat I, loaf, thought, Sugar I thought Sugarloaf is something that like a grandpa would call his wife sometimes. <laughs> Sugarloaf. What's the other one? Fox? Uh, Fox Craig. Yeah, that could that could apply too. The island itself is 550 yards long and 220 yards wide, which is around 29 acres total. The summit of the island is at 123 feet, which is where the lighthouse was built. Uh, it's got rocky shores and some little cliffs, very modest, little shy cliffs. <laughs> you can walk to the island at low tide. Uh, only a bit over like 300 yards off the shore. Mm-hmm. It's still covered in water, but it's shallow enough that you can just walk. So that's how that's people crazy. used to get there is they'd wait for low tide and just walk out. Land bridge. Yeah, it's kind of fun. I would love to do that. I think you still can. In 1895, an archaeologist found markings on the rock on the island that indicated human habitation from 1st and 2nd centuries AD. But nobody's been able to find those drawings since then. Huh. When they went back and checked, it was like all, it was like early 1900s, mid 1900s, like around the same time. A long time, time later. Yeah. That, and uh, they think it's because a lot of rock was taken from the island to build the lighthouse and also to build shelter. 
buildings yeah. in town okay. in Kirkery. So they think that's someone just, just ate up the yeah, <laughs> the away. drawings. Like, look at this art in the way of my rocks. <laughs> they just scratched this off. What is this? <laughs> Trash. It's like graffiti. Yeah. Uh, the only building on the island prior to the lighthouse was some small, like, probably like a residential building, like some little cottage or hut mm-hmm. or something. And they they think this just because it was on the most protected area on the island. So if you were to build a place to stay, it would be where you're spot. protected from the most waves and wind. And it was labeled as a ruin already in maps of the early and 19th century. So oh, by the really time weird. they we're going to build this lighthouse. They already had it labeled as a ruin, so it's been there for a very long time. After the lighthouse, cattle and lamb were kept on the island for grazing, and it was also a sanctuary for animals such as rabbits, mink, deer, fox, heron, seal, otters, dolphins, owls, etc. Dang, all on this island? Yeah. It's a small place for all that. Well, you can cross from the mainland. Yeah, so I'm sure, I think deer, they said the most that they've seen on the island at one time is like six deer. And they've seen one fox that I just mentioned. They, so they're on there. They're just not. Family they're not, vacation. Yeah. It's not like a. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they're just sightseeing. Keepers kept a couple of cows on the land for their own milk, butter, and cheese, uh, but also likely kept a pony as well to haul carts. I thought that was interesting. It is. The island is covered with grass that is green in almost everything but the hottest weather so it's usually looks pretty nice out there trees and shrubs are uncommon besides some conifers and apple trees that the keepers planted that are still around the island is a common place for owners of working boats to stretch their legs and the owners of the island have never moved to restrict access from the public so i think technically it's obviously private because somebody owns it but they're you can walk there so i'm sure they're just like hey they didn't build a fence on the land bridge wow (laughs) It just comes out of the water at low tide. Everyone's like, oh, it's a fence. So, why did we need this lighthouse? Oh, let's find out. Before the 1820s, the only way to enter the channel was seeing these, like, they're creepy. They're, like, timber. They're, like, trees, basically. It's like spires. Yes. And if these markers are supposed to be on the port side then they have these branches sticking out that point down. Yeah. And then if it's supposed to be on your starboard side, then they're pointing up. But so it's very creepy. But they're also just made of wood and probably not structured very well. Yeah. And so they couldn't be close to the mouth of the river even because of winds and storms and stuff. Very hard to find the mouth of the river. Proceed with when, caution. When you're just yeah. looking for some sticks. They'd had hundreds of shipwrecks even before a lighthouse was mentioned, which was first suggested in 1792, but they didn't do anything about it. They were just saying like, wow, we could really use a lighthouse over here. So in 1813, it was more publicized and they really wanted beacons on the River Dee, but they didn't really say anything about a lighthouse. They just wanted beacons. So Mm -hmm. like with day marks, Mm -hmm. that's what they were looking for. So local mariner, ship owner, and ship builder, Captain James Skelly, campaigned for years to get these beacons on the River Dee. And he was kind of like a local hero because he was fighting so hard to get everything moving. It's really hard. If you're just, if you don't have any education about politics or anything, yeah. you wouldn't know even how to get started. What like, to do. Who, who yeah. am I fighting to get this done? And like, what do I need? Who am I talking to? Do I need to hire somebody? That, that kind of thing. Yeah. He raised em- enough money himself to build the beacons on Little Ross. So he's, he just like bypassed <laughs> like normal things. It's just like, fine, I'm just going to do it myself. These beacons were day marks, which was great. But at night, it was as if you didn't have them at all. Yeah. So they needed a lighthouse. So Skelly wrote a lengthy, kind of impressive document called the Memorial and Petition to the Commissioners for Northern Lights. Commissioners for Northern Lights were people on the Northern Lighthouse Board, Mm. and so sometimes they're interchangeable, is what I mean. This document had signatures from people from all walks of life that sailed the Irish Sea and within the port of Kirkcubri, which was like merchant ship owners, justice of, of the peace. And he said even Sir John Reed, who was captain of the king's ship, Prince Edward. Can't find any more information. The ship Prince Edward? Yeah, the ship was called Prince Edward. It was the king's ship. Okay. And he was the captain. So I... But he signed it. Yeah. 
he he wrote a little excerpt oh. about how important it was. I think he was in that area a lot. And so he was like, you know, he had reason to fight for it as well. He went, this guy, uh, Sir John Reed, went as far as to list the ships wrecked all the way from um, 1790 to when they wrote this in 1820. And he just listed every single one, how many people died, what the damage was, and um, like what happened. And so it was just pages and pages of... Death. Yes. Um, That's not good. Yeah, he started with, in 1790, oh, no, in 1790, uh, the Brig Fame, 1791, the Brig Morning Star, and then all the way to 1820, Port of Sunderland and the Sloop Joan. They had some fun names in there. I like those names. Yeah. There's a large uh, array of ship names. They got pretty creative. The petition and signatures from other nearby towns were set to be presented to the commissioners on January 13th, 1821. But there was like this weird combination of just crap that went down Mm -hmm. that the papers weren't ready and they didn't get to present them, which is unfortunate because this is like at least a couple of years of getting papers together. And then in this one moment, it didn't come together and they didn't have anything to present. So... For some reason, after all of this effort that they put in, there was no other like strong mention of getting a lighthouse until 1833. So, what was this event? Like it's a somebody lost the mail, somebody else burned something. It it doesn't say. It just says mm. a combination of bereavement, blunders and misfortune. Of course, those so blunders. I bet it was just a bunch of stuff happening all over the place that was <laughs> Every time I don't get my mail, I say those damn blunders, you know. (laughs) Bereavement. (laughs) So soon after they missed on this opportunity, in 1822, a gale blew in unexpectedly and ripped five ships from their anchors that were taking shelter next to Little Ross. And all were destroyed, which was about 20 lives taken in that one instance. That's a lot. All in one storm. Uh, So this spurred on Lighthouse conversation again, but it fizzled out. And Skelly passed in 1828. So Wow, he never saw it happen. Yeah. Well, the the person who was fighting so hard for this to happen was now gone. And somebody needed to pick up the the mantle and fight his fight. But (laughs) it's it's hard because these people, like, mariners were not educated on politics. And Skelly wasn't either, but... He was just really good with people, really good at talking. He worked under someone like a accountant or something for a while and kind of learned more about how to make this happen. Yeah. And he was also well-loved by everybody because of the day beacons he got. So he dies and they're like, no, nobody knows how to do what he was doing. So it just kind of died out until his nephew, John McKenzie, kind of took up the torch. Because he's, so he was educated and served as a legal apprentice. So he's obviously knows what he's talking about. Another thing is that people who work in politics or legal stuff don't know anything about ships or like yeah. anything about ship life or yeah. anything. And you had to know, you had to have a, enough knowledge about both to be talking about why you need a lighthouse to other politicians. Yeah, and, it's a particular cross section. John McKenzie sounds like a familiar name and I don't pretty sure i haven't heard this story before so maybe that's something to look up as well maybe a historical figure yeah we can look it up a lot of names got carried on on and on and on (laughs) oh for example vince and i were watching the titanic the other day (laughs) and she walks into the ballroom and uh she says and this is john jacob astor and vince and i just whipped our heads around and stared at each other because if you remember, in one of our episodes, we're making fun of a ship that's called the, the John Astor. Jacob Astor. Yeah, yep. we're like, why would someone name their ship that? <laughs> <laughs> so we looked it up, and the guy who died in the Titanic, John Jacob Astor, was the son of the man that this ship was named after. I just think that is so wild that this one ship that we're making fun of was named after a guy. He's a merchant. Really, like, the first millionaires in the U.S. was the family. The Astor family. Yeah, really wealthy on that yes, ship. Very, yeah. And what do you know? We're just watching a movie and it's mentioned. And I'm yeah. like, it was an actual guy. That's crazy. <laughs> crazy. Anyway, uh, so yeah, the John McKenzie, it could be anybody yeah. <laughs> yeah. from this family. 
he was educated and served a, le- a legal apprentice and then 12 years in Edinburgh. Edinburgh, yeah. Edinburgh. <laughs> As a partner of some like writing agency. So mm-hmm. he, he just had a lot of exposure to working with the public. Well-spoken, educated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those we talked Connections, about. yeah. Yeah, connections, exactly. So he quickly became popular in town and he picked up his father's dream of having a lighthouse. However... They got a letter, so they put started pushing again. His uncle's dream, I thought. Oh yeah, his uncle. Okay. Yeah, thank I was you. Say, his father also had a dream. He picked up his uncle's dream of lighthouse. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they all had a Runs dream. Runs the family. <laughs> Sorry. So he gets a letter from Robert Stevenson because they they send out to the commissioners of the lighthouse board, and they're like, "We want a lighthouse again." And here's all the times we've mentioned it. Here's all the times that we've tried, you know, to contact you mm-hmm. about this. Is anything happening about this lighthouse? And Robert Stevenson is uh, an engineer or the engineer to the Northern Lighthouse Board. And I'll talk more about him later. But he sends back a letter and he's basically saying it's not even being considered. He's like, we've got got six projects lined up and those are pretty important. So, you know, we don't know when we'll get to yours. And he even misspelled the town's name in the letter like multiple times. And so everyone was like... Oh, Uh-oh. he doesn't even give a crap. <laughs> Good thing we checked in. Yeah. But around this time, there, well, okay, there are three separate lighthouse authorities in the area. It's England, which is Trinity House, Scotland, the Northern Lighthouse mm-hmm. Board, and Ireland, which is called the Irish Lights. And cool. these three were under fire around this time because they're really inefficient. Oh, shocking. <laughs> He's like, oh, we've got six projects lined up. We don't know when we're going to get to yours. And they've been fighting for, what is this now? 20 years yeah. to get a lighthouse. So obviously they're not communicating. Already. Not even on the list. At least they answered the letter. Yeah, it was nice. Very thoughtful. <laughs> so nice. Parliament criticized them openly in 1834 for all of these communication problems and just not getting anything done in a timely manner. So in 1835, another shipwreck caused the death of the entire crew and Mackenzie took this sentiment to a letter to try again for a lighthouse like going with the uh, emotional route mm-hmm. and this time the call for the lighthouse was sent directly to parliament and just passed this group of three lighthouse board yeah it obviously just wasn't happening and parliament was like yeah these guys suck just send it to us like we'll, we'll take care of it so it still took another five years after that to pass but in early january of 1840 the papers said that they had won their lighthouse, and it was like a big celebration. Dang. Five years? Yeah, it's a long time. So that was in 1840. That's 1820. So 20 years. Yeah. In October of that year, Robert Stevenson, <laughs> he comes back and uh, with his son Thomas and Alan, and they came to Little Ross to do the survey of starting to engineer the lighthouse. And lots of people, there's like all these letters of people asking them to join them for dinner. They're like, come by my place. I'll make food. We're so happy to have you. And so Robert had to respond to all of these messages being like, "Uh, sorry, we don't actually have time for that. (laughs) We're here to survey and get out. Yeah. And he was a little salty because I didn't write about it in here because it would have added too much time. But there was some big fight between him and uh, another politician who... It wasn't John. It was during John McKenzie's time, mm-hmm. but he was actually in politics. Like he wasn't staying in Little Ross, but he kind of knew how important it was, and so he was super like just attacking the politicians and like attacking the board and everything for not having it ready. Nice. And like you know, taking taking control of it. So he's he's kind of like peeved about <laughs> the whole thing. He's like, great, now I got to come down here and build it, but. Little Ross people weren't mad at him or anything. He wasn't treated badly or anything yeah. for his letter where he misspelled the the name of the... <laughs> A couple times. Yeah. So Robert's son, Thomas and Alan, were mostly in charge of this lighthouse, which was the first one that was on Thomas's own. Thomas was like 23 at this time. Ooh. Yeah. And they followed in their dad's footsteps to build lighthouses. Uh, Robert Stevenson had been working with lighthouses for like many years and was the engineer for the Northern Lighthouse Board. And he was an apprentice civil engineer growing up to his stepdad, who was also appointed to the Northern Lighthouse Board. So it was kind of just um, lucky that yeah. he was originally going to be a, not a monk, but what is it? Like, like part of the clergy 
or whatever. Yeah. His mom wanted him to do that. So he's Mm. educated kind of. And then she married this guy and he was like, oh, you should be a civil engineer. Just be an engineer instead. Oh, thank God. (laughs) He was probably like, oh. God can wait. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I also just. Note that he married his stepsister, which I think is disgusting. Oh, just a side note, <laughs> sidebar: married his stepsister, the eldest daughter of his stepdad from the previous marriage. I just think it's weird because, like at this time, that wasn't the weirdest thing to happen. You could marry your cousin, which actually is blood related, which is just like oh, okay. <laughs> but he grew up with his stepsister as a sister. It's like, why are you marrying her? And they had eight kids. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> like, Two of the kids ended up being engineers, Thomas and Alan, and then two of them ended up uh, in like writing. He so Robert Stevenson never got a degree in civil engineering. He was just an apprentice, oh. and then he took classes while he was working. While he was building a lighthouse, yeah. he's like, but, "How to do foundations?" Yeah, it's like taking calculus before you build a lighthouse. How or to while survey? You're <laughs> he's like, "Oh, I should have done this instead." How to survey earlier. An <laughs> he's. He uh, didn't actually get a degree. He took all the classes, but he didn't get a degree because he couldn't master Latin, which was a requirement. He had to do Latin or Greek. Hmm. He is in the Scottish Engineering Hall of Fame and was inducted in uh, 2016. That's pretty cool. Yeah. He, he, did, he made many lighthouses and was really good at it. Super ahead of his time and innovative and all of that. So Little Ross was actually one of the last lighthouses he did before he retired. So Okay. Although he wasn't really in charge. He gave it to... Uh, Thomas and Allen, and he was available through mail to answer their questions, but he didn't stay on the site as they were building. Thomas was in charge of overseeing the construction, and Allen is the one that drew up all the plans for the lighthouse. Something that's interesting is that Robert's name is on the plaque outside the lighthouse as the engineer. That's I was like, cool. No, it's not cool. It's pretty cool. Thomas and Alan were the masterminds behind the lighthouse. Isn't that their dad, though? Yeah. Yeah, it's, I think it's cool. No. They're giving credit to Robert. He didn't well, do anything except for it. produce the kids that did the job. <laughs> what? I just think it's it's nice. Like I think they probably had input uh, as to his name being listed on that plaque. I don't think so. You don't think so? No, I think they just got gypped. Well... <laughs> They come up and they're like, I'm so proud of my first lighthouse creation. They walk up and it says Robert. <laughs> the interactions between Alan, Thomas, and Robert are kind of funny because it's like a father-son duo, kind of unprofessional letters back and forth about the lighthouse. And I took note of a couple of them because I just thought they were hilarious because Thomas is 23 at this time and it's his first lighthouse. So he's not super well-versed in how to get things done. He's still learning. This is one of them that I told you yesterday, but he says, quote, he, well, so he shows up at the site and his dad didn't mention that construction was already underway for the the keeper's cottages. So he sends a letter and it's like, quote, the buildings are at level of basement. How you did not give me some notion of this, I confess I know not. Come on, Dad. They're already just building. Like, you, seriously, you decided not to mention this to me, but it's just funny reading it. In. Like, I'm a civil engineer. All the work is done. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> and he says, quote, I have had a good deal of trouble. I should say rather a vast deal of trouble with the drain. <laughs> <laughs> and then the last one I put in here was, quote, I really must insist upon my correspondence being answered in a business-like way as it places me in a stupid, awkward-like box. <laughs> He's like trashing his dad for not responding fast enough to letters. He's like, I really must insist that you respond to my correspondence. Puts me in a stupid, awkward like box. (laughs) Meanwhile, his dad's probably like sitting on the porch like, hey, it's good for him. Yeah, having a lemonade. He's (laughs) like, hey, I can't get to this today. Got to tend to the garden today. All right, tomorrow. (laughs) They had some fun letters between Alan and Thomas as well because they're just brothers. So they're they're really honest about how things were going in construction. Mm. There was no like fluffing or being like, what do you suggest here? They just kind of talked about how things were going. It's in the Brotherly book that love. I'm referencing. So if anyone wants to go read the book, it's called Life and Death on Little Ross. And Whoa. you should check it out. Dramatic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Moving on. The island was owned by Lord Selkirk, which I'm probably respond or I'm probably not pronouncing correctly, considering Kirk and Bright is actually Kirk Kubri. Of course. <laughs> He agreed to lease the immediate one acre of land that the lighthouse was going to be sitting on for 99, oh no, sorry, 999 years 
at five pounds per acre. So just five pounds for this one area of land. It's a long lease. Basically, yeah, leased indefinitely because he's absolutely not going to be around for the end of that. (laughs) And the rest of the island for 45 pounds total for the next 14 years. I have no idea what happened after the 14 years were up and if they had to like renew it or something. (laughs) Or maybe it was just like sold off as private land. Mm. No, because the keepers used it for gardening and having animals and all of that. So I don't know. I I couldn't find it. The beginning of the rental period was November 11th, 1841. So just as they were starting to get building. The first record of progress on the lighthouse construction was a request from the engineers for 30 pounds to remove Skelly's south beacon, which was in the way. It was the the day mark that Skelly had built. Mm -hmm. There was two on the island, a north one and a south one. And the south one was where they wanted to build the lighthouse. So they took it down. Demolition and, first. Yes. Yeah. And then they built a new one that looked exactly like it, just a little further away. Ah. So they kept it alive. Kept themselves working. Yeah. Around this time, construction companies sent in their bids to be in charge of the lighthouse construction and service. And the winner of the bid was Robert Hume of Girthen Gatehouse of Fleet. And his rate was 3,977 pounds for the entire job, which was not the lowest, but I think... He wasn't the low bidder. No. Wow. But I think someone else who made a bid in like the 2000s, they were just like... Yeah, you know they missed something. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You don't... You're going to have some surprises along the way. Yeah. So the lighthouse was made with stone from the very island that it sits on, along with some of the buildings in the town of Kirkcabri, including the sheriff's office, parish church, jail, and town halls. So they were all made from rock coming straight from the island. I think it's windstone is what the rock was that was quarried from the island. Hmm. Outside wall of the lighthouse was windstone, and the inner was brickwork separated by an outer wall separated from the outer wall by a cavity that would allow any water that got through the outside wall to run down between. Smart. Yeah. And then there was like ducting and stuff for the water to be carried out from underneath the house. That's not like... Was that the drain they said they had great issues with? No. I think there is some kind of drain, like an actual like uh, pipe under the lighthouse. Mm -hmm. And I I remember in his letter, he was like, and we will never be doing that again. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know really what happened. This design of having the cavity between the two walls was widespread in Britain in the 1920s. So the Stevensons were like 80 years ahead of their time. Pretty cool. That's really neat. I've never heard of that. I haven't either. The staircase in the lighthouse spiraled around a central brick core, which was a place for the clockwork pendulum to rise and fall throughout the day, like I talked about in an earlier episode. Mm And was also strong enough to hold up the weight of the clockwork mechanism up top. Because in the standard rock one, we talked about that pedestal that holds the frontal lens is like two tons. So that Incredible. this central brick tube had to be strong enough to hold all of that up. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's like so many notes. This is going to be two parts, by the way. There's a lot that happens. Well, there's one large thing that happens. Life and death. Yeah, life and death. <laughs> so right now, and as... Okay. <laughs> when it was finished building... When it was finished... When it was... When it was done. <laughs> when it has I, built... I wanted to... Like, I don't know how to say it. Erected. When it was done. <laughs> the lighthouse had a white exterior with the tan bricks around each window. And just before the gallery around a lantern room which was black and had five feet thick walls which is how it looks today that's what i was saying it looks the same today as it did beforehand black lantern room yeah just the metal common it's pretty common yeah i know the lighthouse we covered last point lookout had a red lantern room so like it varies but i think black was pretty common the lighthouse was 65 feet tall making it 175 feet tall above sea level since it rests at the summit of the island that doesn't seem right. That math. I don't think that's right. <laughs> the problem is if you go to Wikipedia and you go to a book that talks about it and you go to the Northern Lighthouse Board that talks about it, they all have different numbers. Mm. Always. Never once have these numbers lined up on any lighthouse have I, that I've looked at. Is so it, I just kind of like, I'm, I, I'll pick one and put it. a discussion going on about like... The ocean level, like that's a controversy we don't know about. Oh, 
I don't know. But like Depending even on lighthouse height. From high tide or low tide or an average of the oh, two. Oh, yeah, maybe. I don't know. But like earlier I said it's 120, I think I said it's 123 feet at the summit of yeah. the island. And then I'm like, oh, this lighthouse is 65 feet tall, making it 175 feet. It's like, that does not add up correctly. <laughs> no one ever measures. They're just like, yeah, it looks about 123 feet. Yeah, huh, whatever. Around the lighthouse is a walled, stone-paved, cobbled courtyard that was around 85 by 33 feet that had gated openings on the north and south. So very fancy. It was very nice. A yeah. cobblestoned... Nice courtyard. Yeah. There was a semicircular, single-story building that wraps around the base of the tower that was for storing stuff, storerooms. And this was at the courtyard level and then a workshop at the ground floor level. The workshop is accessed from inside the lighthouse while the storerooms are accessible through the courtyard. So when you bring in shipments or whatever, you don't have to go into the lighthouse and then into the storerooms, you can just go straight from the courtyard into mm-hmm. the... Beneath the workshop is a cellar that was used to store paraffin, which was the fuel used for lanterns. Paraffin wax. Two flat-roofed keeper's cottages were built as the western wall of the courtyard. Construction was completed in December of 1842 with a total bill of 8,478 pounds. It was first lit in January 1st, 1843 with a white flash every five seconds and a range of 12 nautical miles from a fifth or sixth order light. I couldn't find which one it was, but realistically it would have been fifth or sixth order. And this single franal lens ran for 117 years until it ended in 1960. They didn't once have to replace this light. Kind of crazy. It's incredible. Yeah. The plaque. Oh, I forgot to look this up. The plaque out front says, In salutum omnium. And then it has the the Roman numerals of the year that it was finished. And then it says, Robert Stevenson, engineer, Robert Hume, contractor. It's actually Alan. The credit goes to Alan for the lighthouse in most sources because he drew up all the plans. And then Thomas just oversaw the construction. So. Yeah. Less than a month later, a ship had begun taking on water and stated in a paper that if he had not seen the lighthouse and taken shelter at Kirkubri, then the ship would have sunk and everyone would have died. Oh. So very soon after this lighthouse, it was proven to be Starts a off. wonderful thing. Yeah. Okay, whoa. Yeah, that's actually the end of part one. Because in the next part, I'm going to get into the keepers that had fun stories behind them. And then the craziness that marked the ending of keepers at this lighthouse. This is dramatic. Actually, the guy who wrote the book that I'm using as a reference was the one who discovered the abomination. Uh oh. (laughs) Somebody married their stepsister again? (laughs) (laughs) They're like, this is modern times, man. (laughs) It's not acceptable anymore. Your family can only do that once. Yeah. We'll only allow one. You have a card for one free marriage to your stepsister. But yeah, I, so I could have made this one long one, but uh, I'm going to make it two parts. And I, I'm, I'm, the aim is to have part two posted a week after the posting of part one. So, Mix it up. Yeah. So, you know, you won't, you won't have to wait two weeks for part two. You could just wait one week, which I think is doable. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's <laughs> the end of episode seven, part one of Little Ross Lighthouse. Scotland. Do you have anything you want to say? Oh, uh, last time we talked about a lighthouse that I had seen somewhere on I-70. Oh, yeah. I discovered where and what it was, and I don't have my phone on me, so I don't have the link. Oh, no. But I can tell you it was a part of a golf course in Salina, Kansas. Oh, my gosh. Which... uh, is kind of the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And I guess it was one of the first things that was put up as the decor on this golf course. Oh There's a big paper uh, issue, local paper. How tall about is it? it? Mm, I don't know. I would guess like 150 feet, 100 feet. What? Yeah. I mean, it's not real. Like it's not. Yeah, but, but still. It's, it's decorative uh, for when sure. You think of, okay. When I think of you saying decoration for a golf course i think of like a putt-putt course when they have a lighthouse yeah. it's like you put into the bottom like the door of the lighthouse i'm i'm, I'm gonna say like 100 feet like i'm, I'm thinking like how tall a grain silo would that's be. that's pretty good that's taller than this one yeah 65 feet well, and <laughs> a little rough. this one you know it didn't have a column built in the middle to hold up thousands yeah. of pounds but right. <laughs> but it, so it was one of the first things that was put there and then eventually the golf course went out of business um and 
it had a theme to it. It was like a, a beach or a nautical theme or something like Very that. Very nice. I, I wish I remembered the exact details, but I looked this up a while ago. So it went out of business, started to be overgrown, and then the property went up for sale in a like motorsports park business wanted to buy it and turn it into, you know, dirt track racing and monster trucks. And there's a big uh, public push to not make it that because of noise and too much of a change. They thought maybe another golf course yeah. you know, management would buy it. Yeah, that it, would but... be a big switch. And then there was a discussion over the lighthouse being knocked down to make that land more appealing to more buyers after the motocross was turned down. And then there was another push from the locals. Well, don't get rid of the lighthouse. Yeah. You know, it's, it's the thing you can see. It's the local feature. So... Uh, eventually it was knocked down. It's no longer there. Oh no. I don't know what happened to the land. That was the last article I read was that they, they, they decided to knock it down. I think people were sneaking into it and trying to like, you know, go up to the, I don't know if, if it even had staircase or not, but, um, it became a hazard of, hmm. a, of an unmanaged property. Yeah. So fortunately the Kansas lighthouse I knew about is no longer. But. <laughs> that stinks. That's cool that you can find so much information on it though. Uh, it was, yeah, a pretty recent, I want to say like 1980s and 90s. You should host your own episode. <laughs> we'll see. Wouldn't it be fun? Yeah. We could go to the site where the lighthouse host used switch. to be. Yeah. <laughs> We're sitting on a bunch of just like private land. It's dirt. <laughs> Turned out to be a motorsports like, park wow. anyways. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, we will see you guys next time for part two of Little Ross Lighthouse. And um, follow us on Instagram at the Lighthouse Lowdown. Low, lowdown. <laughs> Not all of those syllables, folks. Just the Lighthouse Lowdown. Yeah. <laughs> you can listen to our podcast anywhere you get your podcasts, like Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts, and a few others that you can find on our website at podpage.com slash Lighthouse Lowdown. So uh, we hope we can see you guys next time yep. on the Lighthouse. Lowdown. Thanks for listening.